0: you're listening to the 10x9 Podcast. I'm Paul Dorn, and in 2011, Padraigatouma and I started 10x9 in Belfast. It's very simple, nine people with up to ten minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. And we love it. You can find all our events and all the things you need to know about us and more at our website, 10x9.com. As you know, COVID-19 has forced us out of our beloved black box and onto Zoom for the foreseeable. And while we miss our home venue and live audiences, we also love our new audiences and storytellers who've joined us from around the world. All three stories in this podcast were told via Zoom in recent months. First up is Linda Faith Kelly, and she told this story in September when the theme was nerves.
1: I lay awake at nights worrying about what was ahead of me, even though it was something for which I had volunteered. I told myself it wouldn't be as bad as I feared that I was exaggerating the magnitude, but deeper inside my thoughts, I was an unconvincing persuader. Marketing ideas you have come to fear or doubt rarely ends in success, ask any politician. And when I was confronted by the physical reality of what I had planned and paid for, I longed to go home where life was safer and smaller. Bravery is not my thing anymore. But, trapped by my own bravado, I climbed up, and when it started moving, I tried to sit up straight, hanging onto a higher handle, both physically and spiritually, feet dangling, mind and lungs breathing deeply. And when it picked up speed, over which I had little control, I felt like I was Jonah inside a whale, whose tail behind me swished with abandon, as its body lurched carelessly from side to side. But this was no sea between Joppa and Tarshish. This was the M50 motorway around Dublin. A motorhome holiday had seemed the only way to find some freedom and escape the relentless and depressing prison of the pandemic. Too many others had the same idea, for the only van we could find to rent in September was an enormous four-birth beast, 23 feet long. Neither of us had driven any size of van for 40 years. And although I enjoy driving, I feared the size of this creature. Oh, and I'm a terrible passenger in any vehicle. Usually, I have to be the driver, but this time I backed away. I need to be in control of where I'm going, which meant on this first ever motorhome journey, I needed to know where we were going to be staying each night especially with tales of booked out campsites because of their newfound popularity. Every night was arranged, booked, and usually paid for in advance. And so we had several hours of traveling in the big bastard van swinging from side to side before we reached our first stopover. And we had booked a table in a pub nearby for dinner because they were distancing tables, making fewer available. And if I didn't get to eat, there'd be trouble. So the driver had to go faster than I would normally have allowed. The noise of everything inside the van rattling, including my teeth and nerves, was loud enough to drown out any attempts at normal level conversation. The resultant shouting only served to induce more panic. It sounded as if we were rocketing through space in a large cutlery sales van. My nerves translated into grumpiness, then exhaustion by the time we reached the pub. Steak and chips with beer from the pub's own brewery seemed the answer and should have calmed me down. But when the mind is tired of it all, the body soon follows. My head started to sink towards the plate before I'd finished eating. A retreat to the motorhome for an early night, which was when we discovered that the toilet wasn't working. Unfortunate, as a bathroom was a prerequisite we'd stipulated at the top of our list due to ageing bladders in the middle of the night. Enough said. The toilet block wasn't too far away and I had lovely new blue pyjamas, if anyone cared to look at the lonely figure strolling in that direction. Afterwards, a few tears lulled me to sleep. I just wanted to sleep forever. But there was a a 5am wake-up call from the old bladder, so the pyjamas got another catwalk outing. I met another woman on my travels. I have to say I didn't think her pyjamas were as elegant as mine. She had just pulled on an old fleece and tracksuit trousers. Out of habit, I glanced at the phone to see a message from my daughter in London. She had called the urgent health care service. I knew she'd been unwell with a high temperature and sore throat and was initially unable to get a COVID test because unless she could drive to a a testing centre, not possible when you have no car. When her throat glands became swollen, we hoped it was tonsillitis, but now she was feeling worse with what might be a septic throat more so when there'd been no return call from a doctor, as promised. Now there really was something to be nervous about. He texted her and she called back to say the doctor had called and prescribed antibiotics, which she must start immediately. So she'd enlisted the help of her twin brother, who'd returned to the city just the previous day, and so was reacquainting himself with its social life, and was still awake, if not necessarily completely sensible. Somehow, she persuaded him to get a taxi from South London to the North London hospital where the antibiotics awaited. She offered him a sofa to sleep on, but for some reason he was grumpy and said he'd be sending her the taxi bill. Little symbiotic relationship between those two. Maybe it's because they're not identical. Maybe I've been a bad mother and not taught them selflessness. I don't think I had any more sleep after that. Sorry to keep on about this, but at 9am on the dot, I was on the phone to the Motorhome Rental Company about the malfunctioning toilet, only to discover the simple solution was a grey handle underneath, which had to be pushed in addition to the blue flush button, something the technician had failed to mention on the Here's How Everything Works whistle-stop tour before we left. Two days later, I climbed into the driving seat, and you know what? I enjoyed driving the beast. We stayed in some wonderful campsites overlooking the coast of Kerry and Galway Bay. We ate in socially distanced, COVID-compliant cafes and restaurants. We met lovely people. We slept well and opened the door every morning to fresh air in what felt like the best country in the world. The nerves disappeared. I don't like parables one bit, but life isn't always as bad as it first appears in new situations when things happen differently to how I had envisaged them. Oh, and we're considering buying a motorhome, but a smaller
0: one. So, what is it with motorhomes? Whatever. It has provided us with quite a few stories of 10 by 9 so thanks very much, Linda, for adding to the motorhome genre. And if you want to see Linda tell that story, it's on our YouTube channel, along with all our previous Zoom events. Also, if you want to keep up with all things 10 by 9 wherever you are in the world, follow our social media feeds. We are on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to tell a story at 10 by 9 Go along to the guidelines page on our website and get in touch. We are always looking for storytellers. Now, I am known for my modesty, so it's unusual for me to include one of my own stories on the 10x9 podcast. But I couldn't resist this time. It's another story from our nerves evening. So, take it away, me. I grew up next door to a haunted house. It was Amityville, The Exorcist and Omen rolled into one. It wasn't just that it was next door either. It was the other half of our semi-detached house. At night, I could feel the evil seep through, through the wall, and I would turn away from that wall, the wall that joined our two houses. Satan himself may well have lived in this house for all the terror it aroused in me as a youngster. This place of death where the souls of the tormented could be seen in the branches of the trees in the back garden at night, and there were cats. And it wasn't just my overactive hammer horror imagination. Many others in our neighborhood were also convinced it was haunted. So how did this house get this reputation? It wasn't exactly a Gothic rundown mansion. This was a typical uh, housing executive, three bedroom family home. The house got this reputation quite simply because the husband and wife who lived there had died. Nothing suspicious. Nothing odd, they died, that's all. About six or seven years apart, both from cancer. There was absolutely nothing untoward about it. They left two daughters with whom our family were very good friends, both teenagers. As the years passed, the daughters got on with their lives and were increasingly not at the house. One got married and the other went off to Belfast to university, coming home every fortnight or so. As a result, the garden with its bushes and trees became overgrown. And because it was mostly empty, the house was generally wrapped in darkness. But the cats were still there, and as we were good friends and neighbours, we agreed to feed the cats. Now, I don't dislike cats. They're okay in the house, they're okay in the daylight. They're not okay lurking in a dark shed of a practically abandoned house, shrouded in darkness, hidden behind a forest of foliage in the middle of winter. And it always seemed to fall to me to feed the cats go round to the back of the house where it was darker than dark, where there was no one but the spirits of the dead, maybe the souls in purgatory, waiting to pounce, me carrying a tin of stinking kitty cat, often to be greeted on opening the shed door with a hiss from hell or something brushing past my leg or occasionally leaping in its own terror onto me. I once had a nightmare where I was inside the house next door, And there was a coffin beneath the sideboard. I remember this nightmare so clearly. And the coffin started to open and there were cats all around. One evening though, my neighbor was at home and one of the cats was having kittens in a basket in the front room. I was there too, as was my mother, watching this little miracle of biology. And as I watched, mesmerized, my eye was drawn to my neighbor's bookshelf. And there was a book there that I had known existed, but never imagined ever seeing a thing of myth, like a unicorn. The joy of sex. My sophisticated neighbor had a copy of the joy of sex, and I knew I had to get my hands on it. Long years passed, I reckon two or three, which in teenage terms is a very long wait. But I was a master of delayed self-gratification. I had bided my time, truth be told. I had little other choice. I couldn't ask to borrow the book. But all things come to he who waits. The neighbour eventually finished college and moved back home next door to me. And one weekend, she was going off on a holiday. The key to her front door was left with us. She was away. She wouldn't be coming back for a few days. Praise be. I would have to overcome years of fear and superstition but the joy of sex was too strong an urge to resist satan and all his demons couldn't hold me back one saturday night Mum was at bingo dad was out in the pub no one else was in the house the stars had aligned and my destiny was calling i took the key to the neighbor's front door i was petrified i was about to let myself into this house which had terrified me for much of my young life. And I wouldn't be able to turn on a light because this had to be done in darkness. But I had to get in there. It was fate. I needed to know the secrets contained in that fabled book. And if I was caught, I would have no explanation or excuse. There was a pathetic street light that lit my way up the path. I turned the key in the chub lock and went into the dark hallway. I knew the room I wanted was immediately to the right and I didn't need light for that. The design was a perfect mirror image of our own house. I was wreathed in darkness. I didn't have a torch because batteries for torches cost money. I guided myself with my hands to where the bookshelf was and with only the weakest of light from the faltering street light outside, I found my holy grail. I made my way to the window and perched there again The weak streetlight was my friend, providing just enough light to let me see the pencil drawn illustrations. That icon of 70s sexuality, that guide to the delights of the body, a Western Kama Sutra, forbidden, enticing, mysterious, and in my hands. I still had plenty to be afraid of. What if someone had seen me go into the house? What if my parents arrived back wondering where I was? What if the neighbor arrived back early? What if the place is actually haunted? What if, what if? This house still terrified me, but no earthly or unearthly power could stop me from learning from the joy of sex. I was less interested in the words, needless to say. I flicked through various pages and positions and poses. I knew my time was limited. I knew I had to take as much in as possible and get out quietly and quickly. And soon enough, It was time to leave. So I put the book back. I slipped out and withdrew to my own house. Mission accomplished. No one any the wiser but me and now you. I feel and felt quite pleased with myself. My fear of the house was overcome as a place of evil. This was just a house where my lovely neighbor lived. And I learned very quickly that there's more to love in the natural than there is to fear in the supernatural. And to my lovely neighbour who still lives in that same house, if you ever hear about this, I'm sorry. Oh, magnificent!
2: Um, I'm clear. I'm sure, Paul, you've never told your lovely neighbour about your breaking and entering for the
0: purposes of pleasure. <laughs> education, Podrick. Education. Um, <laughs> no. And do you know what? I. She's. I think she might be okay with it. She's a very cool woman. She's amazing. Amazing. I'm kind of hoping she never really does find out though and again, I repeated, I'm sorry. Now, as you know, 10 by 9 is always free but we do have a Patreon page if you'd like to help cover our overheads and keep us going through this period. We're so thankful to everyone who's donated, whether it's a recurring payment or a one-off. We really appreciate it. Now, here's our third story. It was told on October 30th when we teamed up with the Roe Valley Arts Centre in Limavady for a Halloween evening. The theme, appropriately enough, was fear. Here's Sue Diven.
2: Bucket list. It's just an expression, I say, for the list of things you want to do before you die. But why bucket, says Mario. And of course, The question makes sense when our entire journey is already double Dutch, the jabber within the Swiss hire car being interchangeably Spanish and English, the road signs French, and the sat-nav being the modern upgrade of towel on deck chair German. Fire on the Ulster Scots, where to bucket is definitely the infinitive verb of rightly pissing, and I can understand my Mexican brother-in-law's confusion. As Mario navigates the seven-seater Volkswagen round the hairpin bend of the can see in their there next and curve, rexed up and links and rexed and links and rexed I attempt to explain the kick-the-bucket saying It's, well, truth is, Mario, I haven't a clue. Later, with Googled wisdom, I will be glad of that ignorance, the analogy coming from putting yourself in a position of suicide. Who knew? All Mario and I have signed up for is the adrenaline rush of once-in-a-lifetime tandem paragliding in Val d'Isere. My sister is a stuck record on how today she's perfectly happy to mind the three kids. Not a problem. If Daddy Mario and Auntie Sue want to throw themselves off a mountain, that is fine. Absolutely fine. It's perfectly safe. Perfectly normal. I'm a single parent, am I mad? My six-year-old nephew Connor points out the window. Mira, we're so high we could eat the clouds. Keep it together. Mummy, don't go, says my son. If the parachute fails, would you die? Should you ever need Blunt? Hire an intelligent, autistic eleven year old. Stood on the precipice of a bowl of mountain range. I contemplate the village of Bourg on our campsite far below. Show nerves, and my son will panic to meltdown. Pet, I'm not scared, I say, my voice strangled falsetto. Francis beg on tourist safety. The instructors are trained. If it's not safe, they don't jump. With each sentence, my stomach knots tighter. But mummy, says Ethan, if you die, what happens to me? Click. In thick French accent, Jean-Claude, my instructor, explains the three-way harness. You can't fall out, he says, strapping himself to my back gloriously tight. When I say run, you run. Uh, You don't stop till you're running in the air. To my left. Mario is in the same drill. On death row, they give you breakfast. Mine is in my throat. I search for zen, tune in to the chatter of crickets. Note the alpine flowers woven purple amongst the grass. Van du Nord, says Jean-Claude. North wind. I nod as if I know the significance. A lady on my right is first to take off. A downhill waddle run, a flick of sky-borne canvas, feet cycling air and effortless floating. On takeoff, would it be more undignified to puke or pee? I glance round. My nephew and niece smile. My son and sister stand, mobiles poised. I want to be next. I I don't want to be next. I'd prefer to eat pencils. Mario gives me the thumbs up. Our instructors watch the orange windsock. At best, it's limp, with occasional flares of enthusiasm. Du nord, mutters, "Jean Claude," again, hesitant. "Allez, run to my left!" Mario and the instructors bolt down the slope. Cheers! lurched from the mountain. Mario's tandem paraglider lifts, soars, then twists. Tangling high over the valley, it crumples, veers left, then plummets, down, down, out of view. Cheers change to cries, cracking branches, gasps from my sister, questions from the kids. Click, Jean-Claude is gone, running, my sister tearing the ground after him. I unclip and turn to our children. Where is daddy? says Connor. I lift cameras and backpacks, shepherd the children to the car. When I finally speak, my throat is tight. We need to stay here, I say. Can we eat the panditas? Connor produces gummy bears from the glove box. Yes. Will you read to us? My son shoves the latest David Williams into my face. No. He blinks. Eyes demanding information in his ear I whispered the basics his eyes widen. Then Calm will I read to my cousins? I blink. Yes. Surreal as a distant shore. For two hours I pace tarmac by the car, sirens gendarmes, the fire brigade flurries of medical workers and oh my god questions inside the Volkswagen. It's a party, mummy-daddy questions erased with crisps, Nutella biscuits, singing and juice and slurpy packs. Communications arrive like Chinese whispers, Mario is okay. I breathe, his finger is twisted, they must prioritise the instructor, il ne va pas, c'est dangereuse, l'hélicoptère viendra. Later we will learn the instructor broke his back. The blend of fear and randomness will continue. Repeated phone calls from Sky TV wondering if for only 5 quid extra I'd like 50 billion channels. No! Multilingual kicks around call centres from Geneva to Barcelona to London as we try to adjust hire car insurance Alone in an ambulance, Mario will be whipped to a cabine médic for x-rays and plaster of Paris. Abandoned by the Outdoor Pursuits Company, my sister, kids and I will trek dusty building sites of a summer ski resort where all restaurants will have closed promptly at 2pm and refuse to feed hungry children. Eventually, with Google Maps... Having located the cabine Medique, my sister will comfort her traumatised husband and I will wait with the three children in the one remaining cafe that will serve us clip. The kids' eyes are wide as the plates of French pancakes arrive loaded with vanilla ice cream and mountains of white whipped chantilly. Taking a mental image of the innocence written on the faces of my nephew, niece and son, I remove paragliding from the bucket list. Look, says Connor, grinning. He twirls the spoon and cream. We're well, eating clouds.
0: Oh, thanks so much, Sue. That really was full of fear. Anyway, that is it from this podcast for now. I'm going to ask a small favour. If you enjoy the podcast, could you please go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your fix of 10 by 9 and give us a rating it would be very helpful if you could leave a short review as well a positive one hopefully it helps get us noticed now this podcast was written produced presented mixed and published by paul Dorn. so i'm to blame for it all i'll be back with another podcast soon but for now bye bye <coughs>